Carol, I am out of breath. What happened, Dee? Okay, so I was getting ready for the podcast, and I saw a small snake in the laundry room on top of the clothes. Okay, okay, stop right there. A snake. A snake. How 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 small was small snake? Uh, it was about eighteen inches, but it had a pattern. That's not small. <laughs> that's that's horrible. I don't like snakes. I don't like snakes at all. I've never seen a snake in my garden. So where's the snake now? Okay, so it was patterned. And so I wasn't sure if it was, you know, <laughs> if it poisonous. was poisonous or not. There's a couple of, we have a couple of poisonous snakes in Oklahoma. And so I grabbed a pot and a plate and I was going to try to get it in there. And then when I walked back in, it had gone down into the sheets, which were what I had pulled out of the dryer. And um, I just took that basket and I started dragging it. I watched it go down. So I knew kind of where it was. And I just dragged that basket out of, through my bedroom and out onto the back deck. And then I proceeded to start taking out small things and getting rid of it. So did you get rid of it? I did get rid of it. Sorry. I thought Masha was knocking on the door. Anyway, um, yeah, it had gone way down in the basket. So I had to pull out like sheet by sheet. And anyway, long story short, it went down through the boards, which was what I wanted. And then it kept popping its little head up. And I was like, no, go, go away before I have oh, to kill you. So I wonder if it has friends and family nearby. Yeah, you you were you were saying before the podcast that I might have a whole family of snakes in my laundry room. I highly doubt that. I just looked through all those cabinets the other day. Hey, what's that behind you? <laughs> You're so crazy. <laughs> oh, anyway, let's start the podcast. Oh my god! All right, all right. No snakes. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. And I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on several acres out in the country. And I do occasionally see snakes in my garden. Not in my house, though. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening, except for snakes. And we want others to love it, too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. So, Carol, in your snake-free garden, how are things going? <laughs> well, Dee, in my snake-free garden, I hope it's snake-free. Uh, we had three quarters of an inch of rain yesterday, which was wonderful because I don't think we'd had substantial rain since May the 20th. So it had been a while. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go backwards. So yesterday it rained. That was Sunday. Saturday, I knew it was supposed to rain on Sunday. So I weeded the vegetable garden and got that all in shape. And I thinned out my zinnia seedlings. I put a little post up on the the web about uh, the hardest thing for a gardener to do is thin out seedlings. (laughs) That was cute. (laughs) Friday, I fertilized and I watered and I mowed. Uh, Thursday, Wednesday, Tuesday. Hmm. I did, I know I spread some mulch. I stopped by the greenhouse once, didn't buy anything. Uh, weeded in a few places, but I walked around the garden this morning and I'll talk about in the commissions. The work is never ending. How about your garden? Oh, wait. Uh-huh. I picked peas, snow Woo-hoo! peas, snap peas, and Yum. the first of the shelling peas. Yum. Three peas. Yum. Now, um, what's, a, what's in your garden? So 
I realized that my spice bush had really gotten damaged by the fire and it had a lot of dead wood in it. And I saw that it was, it was sitting up a bunch of shoots from the base. And so I went out there and cut it down. It took a battery operated chainsaw, which I like the DeWalt ones. And it also took my big Fiskars loppers and I got it all down and it looks really good. And it's coming up and it looks happy again. And that's something that I wanted to talk about very quickly if you have dead wood on a plant, like a shrub or a tree or a rose bush or whatever, cut that dead wood out because that dead you wood bet. is robbing energy from the plant. And that's where disease can get into your plants and you don't want that. So if you have crepe myrtles that you have still not cut back to the ground from the ice storm of 2020, people, it's time. So I did that and I also weeded like crazy. The crabgrass is sprouting here and there in the garden. The weeding when you get rain and oh, by the way, by the way, we got another three quarter inches and it's raining right now again. Um, when it rains, you get snakes and you also get um, a lot of weeds. So I've been weeding a lot. I don't get snakes when it rains, just for the record, just as far as I know. I bet there's snakes in your landscape and you just don't know it. I hope not. So let's see. Um, what else did I say? Um, what, I wrote this whole thing right before I left. I also went out of town. That's the other thing. You went out of town and you went to a Menards. I did. And that was going to be our teaser until the snake showed up. So you love me. You love you some Menards now, huh? I do love Menards, although they didn't sing the song. They just had regular music in there. But um, I tried to give you hints because I said 11, but I didn't tell you 11 percent. That's oh, what I should yeah. have said. Everything's have 11%. 11% yeah. off. Um, but I bought a rose and it's called All the Rage. And it's really pretty. It's a landscape rose from Easy Elegance. I should tell you that 11% is a rebate. So you got to take your receipt and then there's a rebate receipt. And then you got to fill out a little form, put an envelope, put a stamp on it and mail it. And then you get a coupon worth the value of your rebate that you can then guess what spend at Menards so they keep you coming back yeah that's kind of smart really there you go so anyway um that's it for my update I mean I don't I can't figure out what I wrote at the top so that's it okay so now it's our new segment did you see I had a little musical interlude last week for the new segment I did it made me laugh I liked it I, liked I might it. do it again So tell me your favorite. My favorite right this very minute I went outside is that lavender that I don't know the name of that I've planted near the big boulder in the vegetable garden. It doesn't matter how I prune it or not prune it. That thing just comes out like gangbusters and blooms like crazy. And it is in bloom right now. I took a picture. I'll try to go take a picture when there's bees out. It's kind of overcast right now. Uh, but the bees love it. And so that's. Yeah. Bees love lavender. That is my favorite thing right now. Is that hunk of lavender out there? My favorite thing right now are the daylilies. I went out early this morning and um, even before it was fully light and braved the mosquitoes because there had been some standing water while we were out of town and a couple of buckets and stuff. Um, braved the mosquitoes and everything so that I could deadhead them because we're just at the beginning of daylily season. And, you know, I want them all fresh when I go out there. I'm also looking at an echinacea that I think is powwow wildberry and it's out in front of the sneezeweed, which isn't blooming yet. And it's just this beautiful shining pink. So that's pretty cool. Cool. 
Well, I'm going to do a quote so that we can go into our flower topic. Cool. It was June and the world smelled of roses. The sunshine was like powdered gold over the grassy hillside. And that is Maud Hart Lovelace. And I did not have time to look up Maud. I know who she is. Oh, okay. Uh, She wrote a series of books and I want to make sure I look it up and get it right. But um, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but I want to, yeah, her books. Hang on just a second. I think she did. Yes, she did. Okay. So when my kids were little, they read Betsy Tacy, the Betsy Tacy series. This series almost went out of print, but partly because of homeschoolers, it has become really, really popular again. And Betsy Tacy are, um, if I remember right, they're friends. And she wrote the whole series. So she's known for that and some other books too, but she is definitely known for the Betsy Tacy's. And they are a darling darling books. Sweet, sweet, sweet. And they were written in the 50s and 40s. I have never heard of those. How interesting is that? It is. It is interesting. And I I used to read them to my girls and they loved them, especially Megan. She loved them so much. Well, I'm going to read one just for the, the fun of it. Thank you. You're welcome. So our flower this week are the sun patients. I don't think we have ever talked about the sun patients. And I know. And whenever, whenever I see sun patients, all I can think of is those poor shade gardeners, all they had for color were the impatience. And, you know, you can't grow impatience in the sun. They'll just wither up on you. But by golly, somebody thought "Mm, those sun gardeners who don't have many flower choices, (coughs) let's give Mm -hmm. them impatience that grow in the sun. Grow in the sun or the shade. Yes. They'll grow them both. And so they're like the sun coleus. And they, if I'm remembering right, I actually had dinner with the guy when I went out to California spring trials, we had dinner with the guys who created sun patients. And they, I think that they were the first of those plants that they worked on really hard to get them so that they were sun tolerant. You can grow sun patients in the shade, you can grow them in partial shade, and you can grow them in sun. And I actually found an article from our friend Katie Elzer Peters in Green Profit Magazine, where she talks about how they came to be. And it was kind of complicated. Um, the cool thing is, when there was a problem with impatience a few years ago, having that horrible disease that they got. They got like a powdery mildew that just. Yeah. Mildew something. I don't know, but it turned up, but it turned them to mush. And for about three years, you couldn't have any impatience at all. And I still don't see very many of them. The cool thing about sun patients is they come from New Guinea impatience, which will only grow in the shade. And they also come from, it's a collaboration with Indonesia, the Indonesian Agency for Agricultural Research and Development. So it's from a native, Indonesia's native species of impatience. So maybe they don't come from New Guinea. Anyway, they look like New Guinea impatience, but they're really sun tolerant as long as they have water. Some patients like a lot of water. So you want to put them and they like a lot of fertilizer too, frankly. So what I do with them is I use them in pots sometime. And right now in my Mary garden, uh-huh. I have both elephant ears and I have that coleus, the coral candy. What is it called? Sun coral candy. Is that Sun the coral candy. The slowest, slowest 
coleus I've ever grown, but really pretty. And it's starting to come along. I've got it out there and I've got um, the wonderful Dr. Cho elephant ears. And then in a pot behind them, I have another elephant ear in the center. And then around it, I have the new begonias that are so tolerant of sun that everybody's starting to grow. They've been in production for like the last seven years. Uh-huh. Got some of those. And I've also got sun patients. And I, in fact, I think I wrote down which sun patient I had, but maybe I didn't. Well, anyway. I'm looking at the Burpee website and they've got uh, electric orange, mm-hmm. white, lilac, vigorous Corona, blush pink, royal magenta. They're all sold out though. Yeah, they're probably all sold out. You might be able to find them locally. I found mine locally. I'm trying to remember where I found them. I think I found them at Under the Sun, maybe, but it might have been Ace Hardware. Who knows? Anyway, I bought some because I saw them over there by themselves and they were like, they were really healthy. And I thought, ooh, I'm going to put some patients in there. And mine are dark, have really dark leaves. I'll look up the variety. They have really dark leaves and then they have um, light pink blooms. Really pretty. That that sounds really pretty. And I know the sun patients, um, they you can find those in like six and eight inch containers right now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of annuals that you can find in the bigger containers for people who just, for whatever reason, didn't get around to buying smaller plants. Those those greenhouse yes. people are smart. They've got the bigger ones, so you can you have you can make an instant container right now with the bigger sizes. Well, that's exactly what I did, Carol. You just told my secret. I'm just joking. <laughs> well, no, if you want instant container, just wait and buy the bigger plants later in the spring. Mm-hmm. And right. And I needed there. them. I needed them popped in there. It's a great big container and it sits behind Mary and I needed it to look good. So I did. Okay. So mine are Sun Patients Compact Blush Pink. Very that's nice. One. I will take a picture of them and we will put it in the newsletter. Not we but I, will, but not the main picture because the main picture is going to be your flower. Oh, what's my flower? The lavender. Yeah, the lavender probably. Oh, okay, that sounds good. What else have you got to say about sun patients? I am not growing any for no particular reason other than I am not growing any. I could end up down at the greenhouse and I could think, hmm, maybe I should buy some of those, huh? Well, one of the things that they point out is that they are less disease prone than in patients in New Guinea's. And they also can handle high heat and humidity, rain, all those things. So they just do really well. And I think they're a great plant for containers where they get a lot of fertilizer, you know, if you're doing your fertilizer Friday. If they're like other impatients, they just keep blooming. You don't have to do a bunch of deadheading. You don't deadhead them. No, they do it all by themselves. So if you want a plant that's not hard to grow now, if I, I don't know if I would put it in a pot in full sun, full Oklahoma sun, they might not make it. They might elongate and get kind of pale, but if you've got a partial sun pot, but you can do them full sun in the ground here because I've done. Cool. All right. They're pretty. So before I am tempted to go buy some sun patients, why don't you do that next quote? Let's talk about the vegetable garden. In early June, the world of leaf and blade and flowers explodes and every sunset is different. John Steinbeck, who is a depressing writer, but a very good one. Great American author. Yes. The Grapes of Wrath. Yes, he is. Cannery Road. I read, I read, a yeah, I read, did I read The Grapes of Wrath this year? I read one of them. It was really good. 
Okay, vegetables. What are we going to talk about? Oh, I know what we're going to talk about. I came up with this topic. You did come up with this topic, and I I uh, got an interesting thing that I found related to that. I saw that picture. It, do you want to talk about that first, or do you want to talk about the topic first? Well, the topic is, you know, it transitioning from using chemicals in the vegetable garden to growing organically. There are some pains you have to go through. But our friend Doug Oster over there in Pittsburgh, where he's the organic gardener guy, mm-hmm. he had an Instagram picture yesterday, Sunday, about the very topic. It was very prescient considering our topic. So here's what I he wrote, and I will quote him. I tell the story often of my organic epiphany. In the mid-1980s, my son Matt was a toddler walking through the white powder of an insecticide called Seven searching for snow peas. The seven was applied on the recommendation of a gardening friend. I didn't know any better. I was gardening like my parents and grandparents. I didn't know what seven was, how bad it could be. I got it at the local hardware store. I was terrified reading the back of the bag. It's a nerve toxin. That was the day I went organic and never used another chemical in the garden. He says, this morning, my granddaughter Hazel found her first garden peas. It only took one short lesson to show her how to shell them, and then she feasted on Shiraz purple snow peas, thrilled to discover the plum-colored snacks. As a child, her father taught me an important lifelong lesson, inspiring me to create a safe space for our family, wildlife, and those living downstream. I hope you do the same. So I saw that yesterday when we were driving back from Big Cedar, which is where we were all weekend because of Bill's conference. And I actually read it out loud to Bill and showed him the picture, which is Doug running behind Hazel as she runs through the garden. Is it her, or is it Matt? It's Matt or it's, Doug. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's as sweet as can be. It is the sweetest picture. And, and maybe it's a picture of Matt when he's little. It doesn't matter. It's one little child running through the garden. And so what we wanted to talk about today was when you have that epiphany, and I think all gardeners have it at some point, Yep. Um, you have to make certain choices in your garden. And I would say it takes a good three years um, before the plants snap back from being on chemical fertilizer. And and I'll tell my, my epiphany real quick. Okay. So sure. I started out wanting to grow ornamentals. I didn't, I, unlike other people, I did not start out in the vegetable garden. I started out and I had three roses, three hybrid teas. And then I added some begonias and, you know, just your basic stuff. And I loved the roses. They did very well. I put chemical fertilizer on them. They did great. And then um, I did the spray schedule. The spray schedule was one week you sprayed them with pesticides. The next week you sprayed them with fungicide. By now I have more roses, right? And so I'm living in a house. Right. And I just had an epiphany one day when I thought to myself, I wonder what these sprays do. And I went and read the label. And when I read the label, I was like, um, I need to stop this because I'm going to hurt myself. You know what I mean? Right. Let alone other people, let alone insects. I didn't, you know, I didn't make all the connections at first. And so people sometimes don't believe me when I say I don't use anything in the garden I mean, occasionally, I'll be honest, I use glyphosate if I have a real problem with like, say, poison ivy, for example, but that's it. 
Cause you got to get the poison ivy out of there. And that's, that's a, you know, it, it's not good either for the environment, but I'm not spraying it wholesale. You know what I mean? So when was, when was your epiphany? Well, I think um, it was great. I don't think I had this aha moment, but I just kind of uh, gradually realized that. And as I tell people, you can buy pesticide laden vegetables at the grocery store. So in your own garden, don't put that stuff on. And I grew up, my dad, you know, they shook the seven dust all over everything. And Oh, hell yeah. He used to mix diazinon into the soil when he tilled it to kill off grubs and things. Sure. And even, I don't know, has to be about 12 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, right before the neighbors that we grew up next to, next door to, right when they moved out. I mean, there were a bunch of uh, Japanese beetles on his grapevine and he just he got out this big old can of stuff and just started spraying it no no protection of any kind and i'm like well you know you're in your 80s i guess but but i it's just like ah and i i got this dvd one time this is before everything was online i got this dvd about rose care about this rosarian lady out east sweet old lady being interviewed Mm -hmm. boy when she went to spray she had on a hazmat suit and I thought, lady, what are you doing? <laughs> right. And right. then now here's the and I I don't think my neighbors listen to this, but I, I just want to say this little thing. My neighbors are very good people. And uh, we've had troubles with that silk mimosa worm on honey locust. Sure. And in, in my garden, I just tolerated it and over the course of the years. I mean, I tried to pick up the leaves that had all the massive webbing and stuff in them and dispose of that. But I didn't spray anything. And I'm assuming that, you know, there was feast for the birds. There are a lot of birds in those trees. So across the street, though, guy pulled up and starts, you know, spraying. He had no protective gear on whatsoever. Mm-mm. And he just starts spraying that tree. And I, when he was done, I said, what you doing? <laughs> you know, and he said, well, we're going to kill the Lepidopera up here. And I'm like, oh, all the butterflies. In yeah. front of my neighbor, so she would get the idea that they had just made a horrible mistake. I didn't want to say, why are you spraying? <laughs> right, because the problem, and we've talked about that particular story on the podcast before, and the problem is when you spray, spray for one caterpillar, if you're wholesale spraying, even if you spray BT, which is natural, you're going to hurt other caterpillars. So it's better if you're going to use BT, use it very specifically, maybe not a spray guy with a deal on the back of his truck. And he probably wasn't spraying BT anyway. He was probably spraying a a broad spectrum pesticide. So we're not being preachy on this episode at all. I think everybody has to make the decision for themselves. Um, Like Doug, we hope you will eventually go as organic as you can. And a good way to start is with what they call integrated pest management. And that says do the least bad thing first. And we will link to, I know Oklahoma State University, um, you know, now suggests that too. I mean, when you watched all of the university information back in the 70s and 80s, it was still spray, spray, spray. But everybody's changed their mind because the insect population is way down. Here's the good news. It takes some time for your garden to get adjusted. But once it gets adjusted, then you have birdsong in your garden. And if you have birdsong in your garden, you have birds that are eating a lot of caterpillars. And I noticed the other day on my dill that 
um, I had black swallowtail caterpillars all over it and they were just eating it to nothing. And I just, I don't care because I don't really care about dill. I actually just planted some more seeds, but the next day a bunch of them were gone. And that, you know, who loves the black swallowtail caterpillar? Um, some kind of a bird, a bird or a wasp. The wasps love them. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, it's kind of sad, but the wasps eat them in abundance. And so I don't know who ate them, but somebody ate them. And that's the way this works. And so my occasionally I get hope from a lady in my garden. And she came over a couple of weeks ago and she said, do you have any ladybugs? And I said, I'm all over my tomatoes because I've got aphids. And she goes, really? And so I went over there and I showed her, I said, here are the ladybugs. And she goes, oh, is that a baby ladybug? And she goes, I never see them because she said all the other people I work for, they spray. And I said, no, this is what a ladybug, lady, a baby ladybug looks like. It's called a lion. And she goes, yeah, that they're... looks like a bad bug. And I said, it does, but it's not. Yeah, so they're once ugly. you learn, yeah, they're kind of ugly in a, but I think they're kind of cute in an ugly sort of way. Once you incorporate plants that bring in more pollinators and bring in more insects, then you have more birds and, and it all eventually works in tandem. I don't spray anything anymore. And I just deal with the Japanese beetles by knocking them off. I have a lot of people I know who use systemic on their roses and I'm not willing to do that. No, but I understand. You just knock them off. And um, gar- if your ground gets naturally a little bit harder in July because of it being dry, it does mm-hmm. make it difficult for those Japanese beetles to, to lay their burrow. eggs and burrow and for those grubs. And so the, the best years we had as far as Japanese beetles not being around was after the drought of 2012 and the population gradually builds up again, but, I don't get particularly unnerved about it. So you have written in here about being in the Cunningham garden. Was that you or is it? Oh, you know what? I don't know why it says, you know what? It's a typo in our notes. It's actually me who wrote this. And it says that I was in the Cunningham garden. It's not the Cunningham. It's the cutting garden. I must've dictated this. And so I noticed I had a ton of aphids on my uh, showy milkweed. And then the next day I saw a bunch of baby ladybugs on them and an adult ladybug and they were eating those. And so if you see little white casings from where the aphids were, those are gone aphids. So it'll all eventually, you know, it'll all eventually do its thing, but it's, it's, you know, when you have a buggy garden, other bugs come and eat them and stuff like that. Cause I, I was looking at that and I thought, I used to work at Cunningham Gardens down in Waldron, Indiana in the summertime before. That's why I thought it was you, but no, it was cutting. No, we did ground covers and clematis, some mums, those back in the day. I, I've i asked forgiveness several times for being a propagator of some now considered to be invasive, not very good ground covers. We're talking about you, you want them as a sportunii. Winter oh my creeper. Goodness, that one. Uh, Winter creeper's bad. We used yeah. to never mind. My yeah. bad. My bad. Okay. So do you want to do the next quote? We're done talking about this. I feel like people have turned us off because we've been preaching about being organic. Don't turn us off, people. The best is yet to come. Yeah. When I begin to write about flowers, I lose all sense of restraint. Beverly Nichols. Famous British garden writer. He was And great. Beverly is a man. Beverly is a man's name in Great Britain. Yes, yeah. it is. Funny stuff. So, so on the bookshelf. 
So on the bookshelf is Flowers and Their Meanings, The Secret Language and History of Over 600 Blooms by Karen Azoulay. So tell me about this book, because I didn't get to read it. So I got a copy from the library. And, you know, I never remember, did I, did I see this somewhere and ask the library to get it for me? This could have been one that was sitting on the shelf as I was leaving. I thought, oh, I'll check that one out too. But somehow the universe sent me this book from the library. And you remember the old floriography where flowers had meaning and depending on what type of flower you sent somebody, you were sending a message to them. Right. Yellow roses mean jealousy, for example. Exactly. So uh, she's. this is a book that just came out this year. And so the author has sort of updated and has 600 meanings of flowers in here. And she's got the history of floriography and kind of comparing how back in the 19th century, teenager, teenage girls would communicate with flowers for special meaning. And today it's emojis. That's funny. I hadn't thought about, I hadn't thought about patterning, patterning them with, you know, comparing them to emojis, but they are kind of. Yeah, they are kind of like that. And so uh, the author also did all the artwork for the book. So I'm going to show you a page here with the drawings and stuff. Isn't that pretty? Oh, Carol, I want this book. So anyway, I thought, you know what? It's got a great bibliography of old books that she references um, and new books too. Everything from uh, she's got braiding sweet Ga- sweet grass by Robin Wall Kimmerer, twenty thirteen, great book. And then Flora's Dictionary by Elizabeth Gamble Wirt, eighteen twenty nine. Yeah, she's got a big list of books, and so I was looking at those and going online. I thought, you know, different types of she's got the flowers arranged alphabetically, obviously. And then if you have certain feelings you want, she's got suggestions. So if you wanted to send a flower that says, my gratitude exceeds your care, you send dahlias. Really? A a bunch of dahlias. Yeah. Well, that's cool. It it just looks like a great book. Looked up lavender and she didn't make up these meanings. These have been in the 19th century and stuff. So lavender, you send lavender to mean distrust, distrust. Oh, Okay. Having been used by Romans to scent bathing and washing water, the name lavender comes from the Latin to wash. Love it. Yeah. Love it. To lay lavender. someone out in lavender is to prepare a corpse in their burial attire and to mask the unpleasant odors. Well, yeah. This aromatic camouflage is why lavender was associated with distrust. Some oh. say that Cleopatra was killed by an ass that was hiding in a bundle of lavender. So there's that snake theme again, Dee. Goodness, we can't get around, <laughs> can't get away from the snake. Well, and I didn't. I did, I chose lavender because I'm in love with that flower right now, not because of the. Well, because you didn't know the snake thing was a snake thing. I didn't know the snake thing until that, and then I was going. I looked up sweet pea because you were all gog. Of course, I looked up pansies. I am still all gaga about the sweet peas. I just so, took them on top you. of the refrigerator because of Masha, because she wanted to eat them and they're poisonous. I was like, stop. That was the reason I was worried about the snake too, because she attacks anything that is in the house. What if that snake had been poisonous and bit my Masha? That oh, would have been shudder. That would have been very, 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 very bad. Yes. So I got rid that of would it. have been, Oh, we can't do the podcast today. D has to rush the, the cat to the vet day. Yeah. Hang on. I'm, I'm finding sweet peas. Sweet peas means delicate pleasures. Okay. (laughs) They are delicate. 
<laughs> Sweet peas are beloved for their petals that curl in a gentle, dainty way. At one time, this species was barely noticed, but crossbreeding during the Victorian era produced new sensational varieties has been extremely popular ever since. Folklore suggests that planting sweet peas before the sun rises on St. Patrick's Day will not only bring your luck your way, but will also help the sweet-smelling flowers grow abundantly. Okay. There's your tip of the day. Anyway, this is full of sweet little stuff like that all through the book. So uh, I ordered I ordered a copy from uh, Wild Geese Bookshop. Oh, it is a beautiful book. I want it too. So okay, anyway, well, we've linked to it. We've linked to it on Bookshop and we've linked to it on Amazon. So if anybody else feels the need for this beautiful little book and the cover is just beautiful. I have to say, that's my favorite thing about the new gardening books that are coming out. The covers are these gorgeous decorative covers because they finally figured out that people love beautiful books on their bookshelves. It's gorgeous. It's dark green and it has a whole bunch of flowers on the front of it. It's beautiful. And very impressive that the author also did all the artwork. Flowers and their meanings, the secret language and history of over 600 blooms by Karen Azoulay. My copy is coming. And when I get it, I'll send this one back to the library. That is our book. I'll do the next quote. June is the gateway to summer. Jean Hersey. And of course, we've talked about Jean Hersey, lost, lost lady of garden writing. Yep. So we're going to talk about our friend, Jim. Jim Charlet. Yes. So he wrote, he co-authored Buffalo Style Gardens with Sally Cunningham and lives in Buffalo, New York. And he's very instrumental in the Buffalo Walk Garden Tours. Right. You you and I have been to his garden and it is known for the Harry Potter theme. Right. There's a whole section of it that is themed Harry Potter. And so he is in the process where he just finished writing Harry Potter, Herbology, Magic. And um, it you you look, found all this. I didn't know that Jim was writing a book. Uh, well, he wrote a blog Harry post Potter. about it. His blog is called Art of Gardening. And Jim is not only an excellent gardener, but he's also a graphic designer. Very, very talented. Yeah. But anyway, the subtitle of this is Botanical Projects, Terrariums, and Gardens Inspired by the Wizarding World. It's coming out in September. And he goes through the whole story about how they contacted him. because when Right, you- because of his garden. it's It's gone viral. His garden has gone viral on Pinterest and on um, Instagram. Well, this book, I mean, the photography, he's got some sample pages. The photography is amazing. And he, as he says, he was under like lock and key non-disclosure until, you know, they got the book out there and ready to go. Such cute projects. But he he will tell you, this is not a children's project book. This is aimed no. at those kids in their 30s, the, the Harry Potter generation that were- Like in, my daughter. Yes. But when you look mm-hmm. at his blog post and you see all the fun things that they have, uh, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna be very popular at Christmas time. In fact, I think my sister whose, uh, daughter-in-law is a huge Harry Potter fan. She and her girlfriend still have Harry Potter weekend. Uh, usually it's in October, but she's due to have a baby then. So I don't know when it will be. Maybe they do it in July. Harry Potter's birthday is July 31st or something. 
She I might need to send this to, um, yeah, I need to send this to someone. Go ahead and finish. Sorry. Well, I was going to say my sister may want to get this for her, for her daughter-in-law for Christmas or, you know, cause what well, comes out in September, she could get it for her for her birthday. But anyway, that's Harry Potter, Herbology, Magic by Jim Charlet. And it's going to be very good. And there's another, there's a co-author, but I don't know who it is. This is Jim's well, book in my mind. Right. Um, and it is because he's, yeah, he's a very talented writer and very talented photographer and all kinds of stuff. I actually just sent it to um, Bill's cousin, who's a huge, huge Harry Potter fan. Um, and I think she'll like it too. So there you go. There you go. So that is our dirt new book on Harry Potter gardening coming out in September. Yeah. She's just a, she's a year older than me and um, she's a Harry Potter nut. So it isn't just people in their thirties. Nope. All right. So let's go on. What? You're not in your thirties D. I wish. (laughs) You know what? No, I don't. No, I don't. I watched all the moms at the um, big cedar at the convention for the Oklahoma Municipal Contractors Association. I watched all the moms with all the little babies and kids. And I thought, oh, I'm so glad I don't have to do that anymore because I did it for years and brought them to the convention. It's a lot of work. All right. So what's next? A quote is next. Ah, there is nothing like staying at home for real comfort. Jane Austen. That's so fitting since I just got back home. I'm so glad to be home. Um, And then we're to our rabbit holes. And so can I do my rabbit hole first? Yes, you can. (laughs) I've been down this rabbit hole. I know. I love this rabbit hole. So there's a guy and he's up in Wichita, Kansas, and he has a YouTube channel and it is called SB Mowing. He also has SB Power Washing. I have no idea what SB stands for, but maybe it's his name. Who knows? Anyway, he goes, he's a, he's a landscaper guy. I mean, he's a landscape uh, he takes care of people's yards, but the cool thing is this guy has more energy than anybody I've ever seen. He's probably in his early thirties and he picks one lawn a week in the area that needs help. And it's usually an elderly person or a handicapped person or an abandoned house. And he goes and cleans up that yard And I have decided that the reason it is so soothing to watch is it's like ASMR because he speeds everything up, right? Yeah, it is. It is. It has the sound of ASMR. It's repetitive. It's like when you're beekeeping. Anyway, it's very soothing. So, and I skipped through portions of it because I've watched a number of them now. So I know what he's going to do. But it's really cool to watch him. You know, my favorite parts, the before and the after. No, when he uncovers the sidewalks. Oh, yeah. Those edging. You should see my sidewalk edging, D. It's just magnificent, by the way. But yes. it is. Explain why it's so. There's something about the fact that it's all covered up and horrible. And then he gets in there with his shovel and his weed eater and his edger and his blower. And all of a sudden, people can walk down the street or they can walk up to the door. It's magical. That's my yeah. rabbit hole. There's a couple of guys that are doing this. And uh, the one guy, there's one in Australia. Their grass is different from ours, D, but on Very. Instagram. And what they say is they make enough from their YouTube channel views to be able to do this for free. Like it, take an entire work day, a Friday generally, and just go and knock on somebody's door. Mm-hmm. 
And this one he knocked in the, it was a woman. She had a couple little kids and she just moved there. Hadn't had a chance to get a mower. And so he did her whole yard. And then he says, and here, by the way, go ahead and take my mower. And it's one of those big riding mowers. It was not. Yeah, a- they gave it to him. They gave it to him. The mowing company gave it. I mean, the mower company gave him a mower and said, here, try this out. Use this. And then if you want to give it to somebody. And she had a huge yard. For yeah. A suburban yard. It was like a triple plot. He gave her the mower. He gave her glasses, you know, so she wouldn't hurt her eyes. And he gave her earplugs. And she had actually, she was a, a lady who cleaned houses and she had gone and cleaned a house for free for an elderly woman she knew. So it's just all that pay it forward. Good karma. It's just good karma. It's just good everything. Okay. So what was yours? So mine is uh, basically the bibliography from flowers and their meanings that I talked about. There are several lost ladies of garden writing from the 19th century that I had not heard of. Now, a couple of them, you know, they have Wikipedia pages, which always kind of disappoints me because then it's like, oh, the thrill of the hunt. It's, it's like, you think that something's obscure and then it's like, oh, it's right there. But there's a yeah. couple of little questions I have about a few of them. So some of those ladies might end up uh, on a blog post or two. But uh, this was a nice way to spend some time on a Sunday afternoon reading through. Sounds lovely. That was my that rabbit book. hole. That was my rabbit That's hole. That's a good rabbit hole. So now we're on to our garden commissions. Mm, I'll go first. When it stops raining, I'm going to go out and finish deadheading all the daylilies because it's deadheading season in the garden. And when you got 200 plus daylilies, you're going to deadhead every single day. And then I also need to cut back some more shrubs. I need to dig out one of the aromatic asters. And that's what I was going to do this afternoon. And I may still get to because when the ground's wet, that's a good time to dig out an aster. And then I'm, I've decided I'm going to put that rose bush where that aster, the new rose bush, all the rage. I'm going to put it where that aster was. I'm digging that aster completely out. I'm done with that aster. It takes up too much room and it's rude. 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 So what are you doing? Well, I just want to say before I say what I'm doing, D, your videos that you did this past week, I know you recorded them all last Monday and then you Sunday or Monday. Yeah. And then you put them all out. They have been excellent. Excellent videos. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I love doing videos with Claire because she can pan back and forth so that, you know, she she's a good videographer. I don't get to do it very much. And today she starts her new job. She's Good starting a new job and she's going to be a counselor for people in crisis. That's two of my children who do that. That is, that is very wonderful. Um, so my commission is I'm going to get after it. As they say, I, I went around a little bit this morning and I got some big edits that got to happen. I just didn't get mm-hmm. enough done last week. And uh, there's more peas to pick obviously, but I mean, I have a red bud seedling and a mulberry tree seedling that are growing up and out of a honeyberry shrub. And that that just shouldn't be like that. That's just laziness on my part. I need to, as soon as it dries off enough, I got to get in there. But, you know, I got to wear protective eye gear and something on my head. And I got to crawl under there to find that thing and cut them out yeah. anyway. And you know what happens here is elm seedlings, elm tree seedlings. Mm-hmm. They're terrible about that. All of a sudden you'll look and you'll go, Oh my gosh, I have an elm tree in the middle of that, you know, whatever. Oh Lots. yeah. Well, one day I, I was looking out at my, my spruce tree, which is it's pretty tall. I mean, it's, I don't know, 20, 25 feet tall. And now the top of it's like, that's, those are mulberry leaves. 
And I looked uh, down there. I mean, I pulled out a 15-foot-tall mulberry, quote-unquote, seedling. <laughs> I'm just like... And sometimes they get so big that you have to just cut them off at, underneath the, you know, in the I dirt. I did. I did. That's what and I had to do. You And then you just have to keep doing it over and over again until you convince the stupid thing to die. Exactly. So anyway, that that's my week, pretty much. Woo. Busy. We're both busy. Oh, and I have a garden coaching client this week on Wednesday too. And I'm a busy oh, girl. And I have to write a family handyman article. Hmm. Busy. Busy. Oh, and I'm speaking in on the 27th. So I've got to finish up that talk. Wow. We are busy. Shall we go? We, we shall go. go. We got, we got to go. Thank you for listening to the garden Angelus. I hope you've hit that subscribe button. So you don't miss a single episode. We publish every week on Wednesdays at 12 AM Eastern time. If you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review that helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. And be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And if you're smart, you'll subscribe to our Substack newsletter, The Garden Angelus at substack.com, which is also linked to in our show notes. I say smart because then you get the episode early. And extra information. If you want to help support us, use those affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we're in a small commission and it costs you nothing. Or you can set up a monthly subscription through Buzzsprout or make a one-time donation through PayPal. And thank you for everybody who has done so. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the garden gate. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.